Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. In today's corporate world, the significance of a positive work environment cannot be overstated. The core of such an environment lies in fostering a culture where employees feel valued, inspired, and connected. This ethos begins with a holistic well-being approach encompassing mind, body, and spirit. A study by the American Psychological Association revealed that 93% of employees who felt valued reported higher levels of motivation and engagement. Regular feedback mechanisms and recognition programs can further solidify this sense of value among the workforce. In this episode, we are joined by Derek Johnson, a U.S. Army veteran, life coach, and trainer to discuss nurturing an environment where every individual can thrive and contribute meaningfully. I'm excited to announce my new companion book, Customer Transformation for Nonprofits, based on my best-selling seven-stage framework. This book adapts proven strategies to the unique challenges of nonprofit organizations, guiding you in building deeper connections with stakeholders It's packed with real-world case studies from leading nonprofits like the Red Cross, Charity Water, the Salvation Army, and many more, providing actionable insights for digital engagement and stakeholder loyalty. For anyone in the nonprofit sector, this book is an invaluable tool for fostering growth, innovation, and enduring relationships. To support the show, visit chrishood.com slash show. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, follow us on social media, or you can email me directly, show at chrishood.com. I'm Chris Hood, and let's get connected. Connecting. Access granted. It's the Chris Hood Digital Show, where global business and technology leaders meet to discuss strategy, innovation, and digital acceleration. Five, four, three, two, one. Your digital evolution starts now. Here's your host, Chris Hood. Welcome to the show, Derek. Would you mind introducing yourself? Yes, for sure, Chris. First off, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. So I'm a U.S. Army veteran, and I became a life coach after years of training soldiers and civilians in strictly fitness. What got me into life coaching was growing up with very successful parents on both sides, but they also had a lot of hardships and traumas that they carried along. So alcoholism was really prevalent on both sides of the family. So dealing with those traumas and all that, I was always inspired to work on the mind. And because extremism runs in my family, I chose fitness and faith. I did not pick up the bottle, did not pick up anything else. So that's what led the path into fitness, into the journey of helping others. It started with myself. And then I fell in love seeing the fulfillment in people's faces, losing the weight, gaining the confidence and so forth. And that's what inspired me to get into the military as well. So in the army, I did satellite communications on one side and the other side was master fitness trainer. So I would prepare the male and female soldiers for missions, get them ready for the objectives and deployments. And also if they had injuries and gain weight, or maybe they had a divorce and went through a slum, I would make sure that they could meet the minimal and the maximal standards. But I knew deep down that I wanted to make a bigger impact on civilians. 
So after my career, I went all out full-time coaching. And what initially inspired me with life coaching and why I pivoted is years and months after working with clients, I would see that they would lose some of their progress. Not all of them, but there's a few select few. And I felt like I let them down, that I did not give them the mental tools that they needed. So that's what inspired me to go into life coaching and really get into the psyche of where did these limiting beliefs come from? Why do these traumas still spill into the workplace, into their relationships, friendships, et cetera? So getting rid of those things so they can thrive in more than just one area and not just be crushing it in one thing and kind of push everything else under the rug or into the closet and say, hey, I'll get around to it. But then that spills into everything else they do. So yeah, so always just had a passion to help others. And I do believe that people that had traumas growing up, they have a gift. And I feel like God blessed me with the gift of discernment, being able to read people in a room and being able to meet them where they're at and then slowly build them up rather than just do the knife hand drill sergeant to everybody because that doesn't work for everyone. It's actually pretty fabulous. You think about all of our struggles that we have as a society today, we all have individually our own demons. We are bombarded regularly at work with a slew of challenges. And we're going to get into some of that morale and, and how we boost morale within individuals. But I'm sure you've had this conversation before. The correlation between mental physical, faith, all coming together for we as individuals to be more successful is really what you specialize in, right? Yes, 100%. So creating the man or the woman that they would be proud of and being able to give that individual to others, whether it's their family, society, their coworkers, their staff, whoever, but just having that energy where they show up confident in all areas rather than just Hey, he's amazing at sales, but he's 300 plus pounds and he binge drinks and smokes cigarettes all the time. But like everybody has seen examples of a certain CEO that is successful on paper numbers wise. But besides that, their personal life, you really wouldn't want to know much or they don't really divulge about it. But that is a very common thing when it comes to vices. So being able to help those individuals get rid of those vices or they take their power back so those vices don't control them. So that way that they don't spill that energy into their business, relationships, and so forth. So creating that individual that they'd be proud of, and people just sense that. So any boss somebody's had, manager or leader, that they were just inspired by and just learned a lot and was able to build them up, making sure that they show up as that individual rather than just focus on the numbers or lack of communication. I think vices is one thing. Look, there's clearly a fine line between your work life and your personal life. A lot of people try to segment those, keep them separate. But look, we've all had bad days. We've all gone into work and we've struggled with real world problems that we're having. You mentioned whether it's a divorce or whether it's just, you know, you just woke up and it's a bad day for any number of reasons. Now, that challenges a lot of organizations, especially when we get into those leadership positions where if the leader is having a bad day, do they start taking it out on their team, which obviously then creates those morale ticks against your culture? How do we balance this? You still have to go in and do a job, but short of advice, how, how do we deal with bad days and managing that within the workplace? 
That's a great question. So the first thing would be to that individual write down what are their normal responses to said stressful situations. So let's just say that there is a sales team and they have 10 people on staff and none of the 10 for two weeks straight hit their minimum numbers or numbers that would gain profit. What does that individual do? Do they normally snap? Do they normally fire one or two? Do they normally go back to the drawing board and say, hey, I gave you the training? What is their auto response in that moment? Yes, they're pissed off. Yes, that's real. Yes, the numbers are low. But what is the normal thing that they normally do? And if they know what they do from the beginning on autopilot, and they can write that down and just be neutral about it and say, you know what, I normally approach people in this regard when this happens. Okay, perfect. Does that help their morale? After those conversations or that crack of the whip, do their numbers instantly go up days or weeks later? Does it or does it not? If it does, hey, it might work, but there's always a better approach. But step one is always to identify what is the auto response to the stressful situation dealing with the team. So if somebody can identify that first and say, okay, I normally do this. So does that mean they show up as that individual all the time? Or does it only happen when the team needs help? Or do they show up as a different person because their kids annoyed them, their wife, personal life, economics, politics, everything outside of work. So asking them what is their pattern and how they approach people when these things happen. So they would create scenarios. So I would have them write down the top three scenarios that would normally occur that would stress them. So number one could be sales. Number two could be, hey, this person is not showing up or helping someone else that's new. Another one could be maybe they are trying to change a CRM and they're stressed about that. What is their normal response in all of these most common scenarios and being clear with their right-hand man or woman? So whoever works side by side with them and letting them know, hey, how can we make this better? And really having a team session to say, what can I do? Or how could you help me? And I, how could I help you? So really being open and neutral before we just erupt and get angry or get emotional or anything, but really sitting down with your team because there's always an expert on the team that the leader might not even know is an expert in that specific thing where they're like, hey, have you thought about doing it in this approach or in this system? And then coming together as a team. So step one, first identifying their auto response to those most common stressful scenarios in business. And step two, speaking to their most trusted people on their team, how they can improve this rather than strictly cracking the whip. And I know it sounds very straightforward and basic, but so many leaders, they don't communicate well because they never ask for that initial feedback. They might do like an anonymous thing once a quarter, and then they get angry when they read the results because they don't know who it came from, <laughs> but it doesn't help that much. But if they can just sit down with the team face to face and really have that powwow and say, here are the improvements we would like to make. What suggestions do you all have? And just doing a round robin. It makes some people uncomfortable, but that's the best part is when they can see that the leader is open for feedback and say, hey, for these next 30 minutes, nobody can get offended. Nobody can feel this specific way. If there's something that I'm missing and I didn't give you, please let me know. And those initial conversations can change it once they know, hey, let's improve this, let's improve that, and let's work together. For any type of coaching or support, the individual has to be willing to accept help. And you touched on it. In a lot of cases, leaders have high levels of ego and are not interested in hearing what other people have to say or are not open to criticism. So how do you get individuals to recognize the benefits of 
coaching and try to get them into this type of uh, conversation? That's a great question. So I would ask them what their rate is of how long their clients, their customers, or their staff stays with them. So let's just say there's a two-year turnaround rate. (laughs) Is it two years because the company doesn't pay enough? Is it two years because the morale is bad and nobody says anything six months in and they're just like, oh goodness, he showed his true colors two months in. Like really seeing what it is. And it goes back to what you said. They have to push pride and ego aside to say, why are people leaving and why are people staying? Because once they can really pinpoint what that is, because sometimes it might be lack of funding. Two, it could be lack of training or not enough training. Three, it could be morale. And it's very common to see the morale part where they have the resources and they give the resources to the team, but the morale is low, that it just lacks the communication aspect of it, where some leaders, they don't know anything personal really about their team besides if they show up with this particular cup or shirt on that shows a team or whatever, and they can say, oh, you like this? And it's just fluff talk, but they don't really know anything on a personal level about each individual. So as a leader, if they could step back and say, do I know my staff individually? And can I sense when something is bothering them? And then really speaking to them one-on-one, pull them into the office, send them that message in the group chat, in the personal chat, whatever it is, and say, hey, I noticed your body language is different this week. If you need anything, please let me know. My door is always open. That simple approach. Yeah, I was just looking at a stat of the top reasons why you lose great talent at an organization. Number one is lack of growth or the opportunities for promotion are not present Number two is no innovation, or they feel like the company is not innovating in the right direction. And then number three is leadership or poor management, which I think we can all relate to having a bad boss or somebody who doesn't have our backs or gets upset easily, yells. Those things have such a major impact to the morale of any organization and, and create bad cultures that will drive people away. Absolutely. Do you think that there is a way that individuals within an organization can work from the bottom up to help improve or bring awareness? Obviously, there's surveys, right? We can all take surveys and say management is bad. But if the managers don't really recognize that, that's not going to fix anything. You started to touch on looking at the data and seeing turnover rates and seeing the impact that that has on the organization. But what else could we do from, say, the ground up to improve the culture and make management aware maybe of the unhappiness that they have around leadership and the morale? One-on-one training works really well from the top down, as in, let's just say I'm the new employee. If for one week I get trained by the top person in that sales team, and I learn how he or she does it, I feel excited because I'm, I see their numbers. I'm like, wow, they're crushing it. I'm learning from the best. This is exciting. Number two, they could go down to the person, to the second person from the top of the totem pole and say, okay, so for this week, you're going to learn her things. She does things in this specific way. So all this new individual is doing is learning proven action steps they can take from the top two people. And then from there, asking them, okay, we're going to give you a week to work on this thing please reach out to us and let us know if there's anything that the newbies need or the rookies, whatever they're called on that team. But if they have that one-on-one, it also helps the CEO not feel like he's wearing 15 hats. 
where he could just say, hey, my top guy is going to train you. He's been here for 10 years. Here are his numbers. Here's the proof. He's going to train you week one. Week two, you're going to be with Sarah. She's our number two. And then week three, you're going to work on these tasks. And if you need anything or if there's anything you feel like we didn't give you, please let us know. But working individually like that can help a ton because they're going to pick up on positive traits, positive workflows that they see from the top people, and also they feel comfortable. So everybody... All humans at the end of the day want to want to feel heard and understood, heard and understood. So if that newbie feels like they're heard because they have that one on one communication, it's not just a group setting always, then they feel that trust. And if they feel understood, meaning, hey, I can let them know that I get confused using the CRM. Is there any other training or is there anything else that we could do? And they say, hey, what are you open to? We notice that's a common thing we hear. It's really hard for people to adapt to this new CRM. And then just really having those conversations because a lot of new people in a company within a year that have been there less than a year, a lot of them will not speak up and really speak their thoughts until there's an anonymous questionnaire or feedback form. <laughs> and then like nobody knows who it came from. It's like, all right, how do we really nip this in the butt without having a conversation? Like we know about the anonymous tip, but it doesn't really help that much because they're just going to be like up in the air and say, Hey, we got this tip from somebody and we're going to work on it. So going back to it is having that one-on-one -on -one training with the top two people. And then on week three or whatever the duration is, have an open door policy where they say, Hey, we're going to give you these tasks. Yes. It's going to be demanding. Yes. You're going to work a lot, but the door is open. If there's anything you feel that you are missing. That training process there, it's one thing to have your top leaders, your top employees, training, influencing, but we also see on the flip side that that influencing could be negative. Oh, this is the process, but don't worry about it because they're never going to listen to me. And, you know, and that disgruntled type of attitude starts to seep into the training, thus continuing the process of just, you'll always have that environment if no one is actually staying positive throughout that entire training process. Exactly. And that's very true as well. What I've also seen some organizations do is they'll do personality tests and they'll put their key leaders. So let's just say there's a top three and the top three have a slightly different personality trait. And they say, hey, Michelle is very, she's an introvert or she's the whatever letter somebody wants to use for the disc. There's many others. But once they know the newbie's personality trait, the top three in the company or in the training class, they can choose, hey, I think it's better if you get with her this week, at least week one, get them comfortable. They don't need Billy. Billy's direct and straightforward. That person might get really uncomfortable and quit on day three. So that can help as well, seeing people's personality traits. And it doesn't mean the entire training process is going to be that one specific person communicating with them, but at least in the beginning, that could help. And then letting them know, it's like, hey, we've all done this. And it shows that he is more assertive. She's more laid back, vice versa, whatever the results are. But in that regard, approaching it with the right individual, with the right personality can help initially in that first step-by-step -step process. And then from there, they can say, okay, I'm comfortable here. And then they can meet Jimmy or Michelle that's really gung-ho and very direct because they might not be ready for that on day one. But I've seen that works really well within some organizations. So they at least have a better communicator for that individual rather than a person who crushes it in sales but they're a terrible teacher. Not every good salesperson is a good teacher. So just like you said, it's like, eh, we don't worry about that system. You don't have to enter that. I know he's going to tell you too, but don't worry. Look at my numbers. It's like, 
all right, your numbers are good, but your process can't really be replicated or taught. <laughs> like you're just good at what you do. If we go back to our, the beginning of our conversation, you were talking about fitness and the ability to get past our internal demons, struggles to become better leaders. What do you think, and there's probably not a really straightforward answer to this, but how much time does that take? How long does it take for an individual to recognize they need the support, begin the process, and then start seeing positive you know, affirmation that this is actually working for them? Yes. So there's not a specific time period or duration. It's more so how open are they to the changes they would like to make? How open somebody is. So an example could be if if there's five people in a room and we and we let them know, hey, today's agenda, we're going to do a breathing exercise and we're going to do some things so you have better responses in those stressful situations. If anger sits in you for two hours or two days, within 10 minutes of doing this breathing exercise, you'll be able to have control and go about your day. That is the intent. We're not pretending this emotion doesn't exist, but we're going to give you some tools so your response will be much more effective so you can come back down or come back up so you can go about your next task. So just by saying that opening line, a lot of the room will say, wow, this is going to be interesting. Breathing technique. What is this? Wim Hof or a military style? And there's always going to be one that's like, ah, I don't know about this. This is hogwash. So that person is usually just more closed minded. It doesn't mean they're negative. It's just maybe they got screwed over buying a lot of programs that didn't work. And they're just like very uneasy about a lot of people. So with that individual, if he or she is not as open, it will take them a little bit longer. So it all depends on the person's openness and willing for change and to actually to be present to do that thing, whether it is a breathing technique, whether it's a team building exercise. But the best part about it is bringing the human aspect to it before diving too deep into it. Give them the rundown. Here's what to expect. Here's the expectations. Here's why we're going to do it. Do you have any questions? And really speak to them on a one-on-one -on -one level to get them into it and then slowly build into that. But that takes a leader that can read somebody's body language as well, where if they can see that this person is having an off morning or off day, then the agenda should be changed. Because sometimes some leaders, they still try to teach and they see the body language is off and you're like, hey, they're not going to absorb any of this information today. So today, let's just have a conversation. And then next week, we're going to do this training exercise. So if that leader can identify that in the beginning, that'll be much better. Because sometimes that closed person just needs to have some trust and confidence within you or within the team before they're going to observe that. So I would say one is the willingness for somebody to want to change. Two is the trust with the leader or coach, whoever they're working with. And three is going back to, does that person feel heard and understood? If they feel heard and understood, they're going to start to open up quickly to different modalities that will help them get rid of those things that they want to get rid of. Traumas, pain, limiting beliefs, et cetera. I think that third one, heard and understood, also has to come with some level of realization that it is working. You know, we can call it an aha moment. I try this. Wow, it actually worked. Aha. Uh -huh. <laughs> you have those moments which builds the confirmation that what you've been working on is going to continue to work. Do you see that correlation? Yes, 100%. When they have clarity and they have less confusion, that is when the light bulb goes off and they say, wow, 
I felt calmer in this moment, or wow, I caught myself in my reaction to this. Normally, I would have a negative thought process or whatever their auto response is. But the more clarity and the more aha moments, as you mentioned, the more of those moments they have, the better it's going to work because then they surprise themselves and they start to realize like, wow, I've been in this way of thinking or in this response process for years or decades. This feels good. I'm calmer, I'm more confident and slowly stacking wins. At the end of the day, everyone just wants to feel like they're making progress. So if they can focus their mind on stacking wins with even the most smallest minuscule things to say, hey, you know what? I did this right. I did that right. I drank the water opposed to this. I hit this button in the system and it did well. I got this sale, whatever the scenario is. But if they can focus on stacking wins, they're going to start to feel more excited and have more aha moments. And doing that together as a team, it's empowering because everybody's getting better. And there's nothing better than that feeling of going through the suck. So what we say in the military, embrace the suck, because through it, we all build that team. And especially like if somebody was part of a sports team before spring training, any vigorous training, you probably hated each other. But by the end of the quarter, end of the season, you're like, wow, these guys are like my family. We feel like a team. We've bonded. We trust each other because we've gone through the suck together. But the best part of that is we're actually open to push ourselves to see what we're capable of. When I think about negative emotions that typically happen in the workplace, I'm thinking probably the most obvious is anger. We get angry, right? I, I got passed up from a promotion. I'm bringing in anger from a divorce. Like anger seems to be the one that we can more directly understand. And then that anger comes out as I might yell at somebody. I might be short with somebody. I might brush somebody off. But there's got to be other challenges that people are faced with, and maybe they come out in different ways, uh, like depression. We're all depressed in one way or the other for a lot of different reasons, whether we admit it or not. I would even argue some positive emotions, like we might be very happy or joyous about something and as a result lose focus because our focus is somewhere else, a new relationship that is a good relationship but might distract us from what we have to accomplish for the day. How do we think about all of the different variations of emotions when dealing with this? Is it the same process? So with that process, if somebody's familiar with the frequency chart, they can see where they're at normally on autopilot, as in what is your default setting? So if somebody just Googles frequency charts, they can choose and see and have clarity on where they're normally at. Are they on apathy? Are they on inspiration? Are they on self-fulfillment, self-actualization, wherever it is? But I like to think of a simple analogy of a wave. The best leaders are in the mental space of a smooth wave. They're never too high. They're never too low. Meaning if something personal happens, they're not going to bring it to work. If they just crushed the last quarter and they made a couple million a commission, whatever it was, they're not going to be too excited for that many days. So an example could be most people will celebrate for three days. Two days in, they realize they haven't done anything with workflow for two days because they were too happy and excited for too long. New relationship, as you mentioned. So the intent is going to be to what can we do to be a controlled wave? Not too high, not too low. And when awesome things happen or when stressful things happen, how long does it take for us to get back focused, to get back focused, back into workflow, back into flow state? Because as mentioned earlier, for anger, 
some people stay in that state for hours on end. They bring it home to family. The family doesn't even want to have dinner with you or vice versa. And it's like, all right, we can't keep bringing this. But if they have some tools to use to release that so they can be that smooth wave again within 15 minutes. And it might sound crazy to some people where they're like, I've been angry for two weeks straight or two hours straight. It's like, the question is, how long do I allow myself to stay in this state? Is it five minutes? How long do I want to stay in this state? 10 minutes. But if somebody has the tools and the experience to bring themselves back down or back up within 15 minutes, they can go back to what they're doing. And teaching individuals those natural modalities when it comes to breathing, releasing, exercise, body movement, all those things, going outside. Some people, they just work on a device all day. We saw it during quarantine. People were inside all day long. They got worse during quarantine and the other half got better. The reason the others got better, they moved their body, they were outside and they were just in a positive light rather than only indoors. But yes, yeah, so going back to the question is, what is that person's default setting? Are they normally optimistic? Are they pessimistic? Are they just too excited and too optimistic? Because sometimes that can happen where they're just <laughs> losing track of time. They're just like the social butterfly. But seeing what their default setting is and then making sure that we elevate that default setting to something that's going to be more calm and focused and confident. And anybody who is familiar with the movie The Avengers and The Incredible Hawk, he says, you know my secret, I'm always angry. So I guess there's some positive to that somewhere in the world. I don't know. One final question before we wrap things up. I'm curious when we bring this all back around and we think about building successful teams within an organization, obviously we need successful leaders and we need uh, positive cultures. But if somebody's sitting here listening and they want to build morale back up within their organization and maybe they've got a leader that could use some help, or maybe they've got a team that's not communicating. Where can they start? I would first ask themselves, does my company have any core values? Does my company have any core values? So if somebody played sports or if they were military, a lot of teams in both aspects, they have core values. So I would start and choose three if they don't have any yet. So that could be leadership, positivity, that could be discipline, that could be team building, whatever it is they can choose. They can literally look up their favorite brand, whether it's clothing or business, and see if they have core values. And then start to use that as a framework and say, okay, they have these, I like these better. So if they don't know where to start, but I would first ask, do we have core values? And if you do, does anybody even know what they are? Because usually they're just in the break room on the wall and people are like, oh, I just thought that was a poster. I didn't even realize that was for our company. I just thought that was like some motivational thing he bought online. <laughs> so... <laughs> Really having that conversation with the staff and team to say, hey, this is what we stand behind and this is why. We care about our customers. We want to give them the best lifetime experience with our product or service. And this is why we do what we do. And when people can have clarity in those moments to say, aha, this is why he created this. This is why we're selling this because it relates to that. And we're making people feel better, look better, whatever the outcome is. But it really gives people an emotional connection to it rather than just I'm crushing sales just to pay a check. I'm crushing sales to pay bills and take care of family. So starting with the core values. And last but not least would be that individual. What did they stand behind? So the team and the company's core values. And then for that individual, do they have core values for themselves? And do they operate on those core values and actually stand for something? Because the best leaders, they're strong individuals, team builders, and they also have a team morale. And it's not just the monotonous. So I would get out of the monotonous. And so 
get out of that old school corporate. We've always done it this way. Everybody hates that. <laughs> Absolutely. When you're aligned with your business and you're excited to wake up and go to work every day, you are more productive. The company is more productive and everyone is going to generate value from that. I appreciate it. Where can people get in touch with you? Great question. So they can find me on any social media that is fit with Derek and the number two fit with Derek two. They can search that it's the same picture on everything. My whole intent is to plant seeds. I put it out there. I'm not for everyone. You're not for everyone. But <laughs> if they resonate with someone, that's the best part. If we can plant seeds to make people think, to make them stop, to get them to want to improve, because if we can become better men and better women, we should and we should then give that person to the world, to our family, to communities. At the end of the day, I feel like that's why we're all here is to become the best individuals we can and give him or her to others. Because if not, then we're just selfish. So just let's just keep getting better and help others in the same way. Thanks so much, Derek. Appreciate your time. I appreciate you having me, Chris. Thank you. And thanks to all of you who are listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review. Your feedback helps us improve, grow, and reach a wider audience. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, you can connect with us throughout social media and online at Chris Hood Show or chrishood.com. And please share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, or anyone else looking to grow their business and start their own digital evolution. Until next week, take care and stay connected.